Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today we're going to be talking about community choice aggregation, a utility trend that's sweeping the country and accelerating the adoption of clean renewable energy. Karen Burns is the Chief Executive Officer of San Diego Community Power. Delighted to have her on the podcast today. Karen, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. It's great to see you today. How are you? Thank you, Ted. I am doing great. And um, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to have this opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, very good. Now, I th- and your listeners. I think you've been at San Diego Community Power for almost a year. Is that right? That is. I joined in mid-April of 2022. So coming up on a full year in April. And I know when you, we started yeah. out by chatting, you're, you're really busy. How, how is it going? How, how... <laughs> We're still really busy, uh, it, but it's going great. You know, there have been lots of challenges, lots of stakeholders to engage, lots of opportunity. And uh, it's like a little bit like having a big blank slate to build really impactful programs to get to 100% clean energy and, and do so in a way that's both inclusive and equitable. Uh, so an amazing mission that we've put, you know, that we're focused on and um, just really meaningful work. It's so it's so broad. So let's help out the people that don't know anything about community choice aggregation. Here's a new utility model where cities kind of get together and say, we want to buy clean power on the market ourselves. We don't want to we don't want to rely on our utility to do that. Is that right? And then the power still flows in on the utility distribution system. Right. Yeah. So I'll I'll explain it because, you know, CCAs are really this fascinating mix of a government agency, a nonprofit mission-driven organization, and an energy company, which is also subject to the risks and opportunities of global energy markets. So we're in effect all three. Um, and with that comes with incredible opportunity as well as challenge. Our focus to date has been on the power procurement side. So all the energy we buy, the clean energy we buy, does still run through the holes and wires, if you will, of SDG&E, they are also provide the billing system. Um, and then programs have historically been with SDG&E and over the next, you'll, we'll start to see those evolve where we're starting to run programs of our own. Our programs uh, will expand significantly in the coming years. It's a really exciting space. And um, yeah, so that, that's sort of how it works. And, and I would say if I had to, you know, line out the benefits mm-hmm. of, of this new model, you know, the first is really local choice. So for the first time in 100 years, San Diego has a choice as to where they get their energy from. And that creates competition, which will in future help control costs. The second is really environmental benefits. So we, in alignment with many city climate action plans, are aiming to reach 100% clean and renewable power by 2035 or sooner. And in doing that, we currently offer our two services, a 55% renewable product and a 100% renewable product. And then how would that, comp- I would say the- how, how does that compare to the grid? How does that compare to San Diego Gas and Electric's? Um, so SDG&E well. currently has this year a 45% product. I not, it may uh, be reducing in the year, in the coming years. I'm not sure what, what they're doing. So you're exceeding there. Even your, even your lower level is exceeding in terms of the renewable uh, percentage. Yes. Even our base product is higher and it's a lower cost. Yeah. And it's lower cost. So better product, lower cost. The other benefits are like our, our customer focus. So we we really keep customers at the heart of what we do as opposed to shareholders. 
And so that influences how we make decisions, influence what matters to us, what programs we'll roll out. And, you know, just making sure that we're reflecting that and also like the broad diversity of our customer base um, who have different experiences, different needs and different perspectives. Um, And the last thing we can do is innovate. That's really going to be exciting in the years to come. You know, we're out of startup mode, we're into scaling mode. And as we level off, which we'll talk about, you know, how, how we're growing and this exponential growth path we've been on we're going to then have a moment to pause and really think through how we innovate, how we don't have to have, uh, we, we can leapfrog old technologies. We can think about new ways of doing things and we're not having to unwind the past. We can just create the future. So that's another really exciting uh, benefit of being a new CCA in the market. Totally, totally exciting. And you sound like just the right person. Let's back all the way, let's back all the way up in, in your life. Uh, I know you, I think you went to Duke as an undergraduate, but where were you born and raised? Where's home? Yeah. So like my, my story is really, you know, one of this super shy introvert turned global nomad turned mission driven clean energy executive. And, and it starts growing up in a, in a small beach town in central New Jersey on the East coast. Uh, Not too unlike some of the coastal communities here, which has been, a really nice experience for me, but I was incredibly shy as a child and painfully shy. And I know you're looking like, what? Yes. Hiding behind my, yes. Hiding behind the mother's legs. Like when a relative would come over, I mean, it was, it was, it was really painful. And in school though, that resulted in my being teased, taunted and, and often bullied. Uh, I was the easy target I was sensitive and I was really shy. And so I delved into academics and into books as like sort of something I could control, something quiet, a nice refuge, stole myself away in nature, long walks in the woods, tree climbing, fort building, frequent visits to the ocean. Uh, and, and I brought home a thousand different pets. You know, my, my more mother would be like a centipede one day and a stray cat the next. And you know, <laughs> she was like, what is this going to stop? But, you know, and so that was sort of my initial exposure. And then two things happened that really changed the course of my own history. Uh, The one was I got exposure at an early age to major environmental issues firsthand as as a teenager growing up on the beach and watching all the toxic waste from New York City roll up onto our shores. So that during that time, I launched our high school's first environmental club to bring awareness to those issues and other also environmental issues arising at that time. And the next the next sort of formative moment was a trip to Spain I took with my high school Spanish class, where suddenly this world of books and stories that I had lived in for so long collided with the real world. And I started living my own adventure and that got me hooked. And so then during and after college and after graduate school, I went on to travel the world I lived in India, Brazil, Indonesia, China, Europe, the Middle East, traveled to you know, 20 countries, learned to speak six languages, made friends from every corner of the globe and had like awesome adventures in the process. Like I was, I was kind of reflecting on that. I was like, I, I accidentally scuba dived with a bunch of Barracuda in Oman. Like <laughs> I celebrated in a Brazilian carnival. I traveled the length of India on by bus and train from Manali to Trivandrum. And I survived a political coup in Indonesia. I was evacuated to Australia for a month. And I ate more chicken feet than I ever want to remember. 
<laughs> and, and so, like, all of this was happening through late 2007, where I was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi working for a private equity fund and looking at opportunities. And they just told me, you know, investing in alternative energy was too alternative uh, for the region. And, um, and I had a moment then, like an epiphany. And by that time, I had just really come around full circle. And I just fully believed after all of my travels that clean energy and sustainability were the future and that the global climate crisis was coming. You know, when you live in all kinds of countries, all different sorts of whether it's air pollution, water pollution, sustainability issues, you see globally what's going on, deforestation in Brazil, like all of these things. And so that really, in that moment, my professional purpose was reborn and I came back to the US. Uh, and, and I came back a really different person from when I left. All that shyness was gone, fear of the unknown was gone. I mean, I did this all by myself. So it wasn't like my parents were in tow or I had a brother or sister out there just totally on my own. Um, and I, and like that, that just that boldness came from that. And so I quickly just moved into executive leadership roles focused on environmental sustainability and whether that was forest carbon initially, energy efficiency, DERs, distributed energy resources. And then fast forward to today, clean energy. Where can you have the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time on our climate? It's one of those big things is clean energy. So. You can see why I love doing these podcasts. Uh, hearing your story is, I would never have guessed any of this. But me, and, and you're being humble. I think you're also being humble because you were traveling the world, but you were also studying. I mean, you undergraduate Duke, you had a Fulbright scholarship or fellowship in, in India. Uh, you went to University uh, Edinburgh Business School, University of Washington, Harvard University, Stanford University. Is that right? All these, all these amazing institutes. I, I did say I was curious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did start out by saying I was insatiably curious, but um, yeah, no, I, I did do, I did do all of those. And I would say, you know, if I had to, if I had to pick which of those was really formative, I, I would say were a couple of things, you know, my undergraduate experience at Duke and my graduate experience at Harvard were definitely the most intense, uh, the most defining and I was also on campus full time and just a, a period where in both of those I grew intellectually and personally during those really formative years. I would also say going back to the globe, globe trotting a bit that this I like to say I grew a ton from the school of hard knocks, which, uh, you know, from those years overseas, those amazing years, those challenging years uh, living out in the real, you know, in the, in the around the world on my own. I sometimes joke and say I went overseas as a house cat and came back an alley cat. And then if I had, you know, nine lives to start with, I probably have like two or three left because of all the, the things and uh, experience I've had. But but there's really just no no experience like that. No, oh, sounds that sounds so formative. And and then uh, there are a couple a couple career steps: um, Franklin Energy and Build It Green. Uh, you're really focused on energy efficiency, de demand side management, distributed energy resources. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, for about, I think, four-ish years, I was at uh, Build It Green at the helm of that organization, just building out the programmatic side, looking at distributed energy resources, energy efficiency, building codes, workforce development. And then we, uh, that company we sort of merged into or was acquired by Franklin 
energy. And then I became their regional vice president and ultimately their corporate strategist at the national level um, at that time. So, and, you were, and at that time, yeah. you're, you're based in the Bay Area. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So when I came back home from the Middle East after I sort of it's like I started in New Jersey and I probably should have gone left. But instead, I went right. And I went all the way around the planet to end up where I really, you know, where I'd always felt um, a calling to, which was which was California. So uh, when I came home to the U.S., I, I landed in California with my with my now husband, uh, and we have you know two boys, seven and nine. Uh, and so we met overseas, and we came back here together and and picked San Francisco as our place because it had the values that were important to us: sustainability, innovation, um, and and just you know progressive approach. So. Uh, that's how that happened. When you were at Franklin, you were uh, providing services to a lot of different utilities, I presume, right? Yes, yes. Across uh, in Franklin National, we had a national portfolio of of um, utilities, and we were really focused on how do we be more innovative, whether that's you know demand response programs, or distributed resources, virtual power plants, some of some of those things. Like what what can we do to help utilities? address their address their needs and reduce their energy use at the time you know time of use started coming into play then energy efficiency we don't really need it at noon we need it at four and so all those different technologies and and approaches that, that, we and was, that the, was that the last stop before coming to san diego community power it, it was yes and so yes. how did, how did this all manifest you just seem like the perfect person for san diego community power and how did how did that work out that they got you? Well, that that's very sweet. I mean, I feel like I got them in a way. I mean, it. I had just started feeling like I was ready for a um, another move. You know, I had I had been the CEO, then I had gone in and become a regional vice president, and national corporate strategist, and I was ready uh, to to go back to thinking about leading an organization. I had time to reflect on my own leadership and grow during that period. And, um, an opportunity came to me and I, and I looked at it, I'm like, Oh, San Diego. I don't know, you know, but, uh, cause I was, you know, quite doing just fine up in the Bay area. But as I started looking at the opportunity to, to build and scale an organization, love doing that to amp it with values and mission. Uh, and so, you know, specifically our mission to get to get to 100% clean and renewable energy, but also our work around building a culture that's really conducive to Jedi justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. That that really excites me, and that's one of the things that's really unique about SDCP in this moment. And I feel like that's where my story and the story of the company come together. You know, because they was able to work, play, and share experiences with so many people from so many walks of life around the globe for many years, I've really seen that we're all very similar at our core. Although we come from different perspectives, we speak different languages, we have different histories, grow up in different cultures, we're each like an onion, and we have many layers. And as you start peeling off those layers, you get to like this core kernel of humanity. I call it like the humanity kernel. Uh, and it spans geography, socioeconomic classes, ethnicities, life experience. Um, so that and having had the honor and the pleasure of working with so many brilliant people from around the world, uh, across the globe. So I've just come to realize that I just came to realize that to solve this climate crisis, we must be inclusive and equitable in our approach. 
It cannot be something that one group or one gender or one socioeconomic class or one ethnicity kind of imposes on everyone else. It must, by its nature, be inclusive, collaborative, and open to participation so that everyone who wants to get involved can do so. And in this way, we get the buy-in that we need as a global community to affect the change that we want to see in the world. And so that's, you know, that piece to be able to change the face of the future of energy, to make it more reflective and representative is also sort of one of my personal drivers. And having seen that it was really important at the foundation of SDCP, like that combined with the clean energy mission, combined with growing and building a business, like those three things just really came together in that moment. And uh, we decided to to see if it was a good fit. Sounds great. Now, let's drill into this equity piece for a second. How, is, how does a uh, um, community choice aggregator, in this case, San Diego Community Power, how are you promoting equity? Compared to like a traditional yeah. ability, say. Right, no, I think that's great. And that kind of talks to some of the, the programmatic work that we're going to be doing. We recently completed a community survey our community power plan. And we asked, I think we got over 3,500 clean, unique responses, one of the largest surveys done in the region about the kinds of programs that folks want to see. So that will serve and what their needs are. So we're responding to community needs. We're meeting people where they are. We're not saying everybody needs a size six shoe, right? Equality. Everyone needs a size six shoe. Here you go. Here's your Nest thermostat. Everybody gets one. It's more like, what do, what do the different communities mean? Where are they learning? Some, some of it's education, some of it's a workforce development, some of it might be energy efficiency, some of it might be resiliency centers and, mm -hmm. and more resources and, and really focusing on our underserved or under-resourced communities, which we call our communities of concern in our programmatic thinking. So that's where this, this shows up, uh, specifically with regards to our customer base. And we're just starting that journey um, so that's that's something that's coming. No, it's really exciting. And then I'll, I'll just share with you. I've I've been a fan of CCAs for a while and uh, an advocate, of course. And my concern and Gary Drove from LA County when he formed Clean Power Alliance, we had long discussions about this. But my concern has always been if if you lose your financial advantage, uh, if the if the CCAs rates get to be higher than the utilities rates, I guess just for the base product then I think you're really in trouble. Uh, it seems, I, I I, maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I, it just seems as though people are, are so financially motivated one way or the other. Uh, and so it's, it seems to me it's always been sort of razor thin that the CCA's rates are just a little bit lower than the San Diego's rates or Edison's rates in, in the LA area. If you add all this program, if you, the more programs you add, the, the more costs you have, do your rates get threatened? Does the model get threatened or are you okay? Biggest thing driving rates is power, power costs. They're over 90% of our budget. They really move the needle. So hedging, risk management, all of the pieces that come together. So one of the things we're, you know, we're looking at is how do we move that needle, right? A 1% move in the cost of power will affect rates. A 5% move really starts to have an impact. So Thinking about cost and cost control, the really big bucket is power costs. So on the program good, side. You do a good oh, job on your on your trading or your power procurement, then you have some cash that you can put into programs. Well, and and programmatic dollars come from a variety of sources. That was the second piece I was gonna say. 
they there are dollars available at the federal level, at the state level, at the level of the CPUC. There are ratepayer funds, and so some of that there is. We're looking at forming a regional energy network, partnering with some of our member agencies that will bring dollars in to the area, and we can for programs. And so those are tens of millions of dollars. Some of these these available areas. And then yes, as we build our reserves, which we are doing this year, we've had many board meetings and conversations about that. We are building our reserves so that we can lay that strong fiscal foundation. And when that's done, we will be able to divert more funds of our of our net income into programs. But that's only going to be a slice of the dollars that will be available that we can access as a state age as a as a member agency. Sorry, as a, as a joint powers authority consisting of member agencies. Let's go back to scale. Uh, you mentioned it a while ago, and and you, the, part of your job is to build this out. Is there an optimal scale, or is it is it every city within the San Diego County, or what? It, what where are you where are you headed with scale? Oh, world domination. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, not? Not, not going there. Not going. <laughs> We, uh, it's a great question. We, we were actually, so we have our founding five members, cities of La Mesa, Chula Vista, Imperial Beach, Encinitas, and city of San Diego. This spring, we're enrolling two more member agencies, National City and the unincorporated areas of San Diego County. That will add over 200,000 meters, so customer meters, to our organization. So we're about 770,000 now-ish, 750-ish. We will be over 900,000, approaching 1 million meters by July of this year. So a couple of years ago, we were a $15 million company. We're about to become a billion-dollar energy company in a matter of a few, you know several months. So that that's sort of the growth. I think at that point, we should probably pause. And just, you know, think about and make sure everything's running smoothly, make sure all our operational processes are solid and in place, optimize the company that we have. And then um, cities in the county will reach out to us and we may reach out to them. And I think so long as they share our mission, our values and our goals, at some point in the future, in conjunction with the board, we'd be happy to speak to them about joining. Yeah, yeah. So, what are what would you say right now is the is your biggest challenge in at being at the helm of the challenge is you know there's there's a couple of things I said the biggest would be the the power business the power market risk and we do an excellent job and this team does an amazing job we have such talented people here. Uh, but that is over 90% of our budget. That moves the needle. So if we're talking about risk and challenge, you know, that's it. I would say, you know, one of the challenges that we have is just we are a public agency. So we are very transparent and open relative to our competition, right? Our board, our board meetings are public. Uh, so our competition has access to everything about our operations. Uh, so imagine that, you know, you have two, if you had two private sector companies competing with one another, and one of them always had to tell the other exactly what it was doing, its strategy, its financials, how much it paid its team members, and the other one had to do absolutely none of that. That's the, that's the 
space we operate in as a public agency. So that that can show up and be challenging. I never, people don't always I never, see that, I right? Never, yeah, they don't I never thought that. I never thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense that that would be very very difficult to you know, I, I mean you're you are you are competing. I mean, you're um you're you're a different model, but it's um you're taking away some of the functionality that's traditionally been for the utility. So that could see how that would be very difficult. Um, that's true. So then how do you, um, are you just working your butt off? How do you, how do you maintain a balance? You, you mentioned that you've got some kids at seven and nine, you said the boys maybe? I do. Yes. Yes. The ever elusive work-life balance question, right? <laughs> I would say so you probably have this good one, you know, probably have the secret. I, I don't know that that's uh, expecting a lot. I, I would say a couple of things, you know, being high energy really helps and insatiably curious um, and having that amplified by work that's really meaningful kind of takes away from the grind because everything we're doing moves us closer to a really meaningful common goal. So that's the first thing is just love what you do because then you don't work much, if that makes sense. But I also try to turn it off like on the weekends, after hours, so that I can be present with the family, with my family, right? And, and if I'm being honest about it, it, that doesn't always work. There are times when a call comes in or I've got to work, et cetera. But I try to set that example and I try to set it for the team because a lot of my colleagues have families too. And so we want to recognize and empathize that we all have lives outside of work that should be lived, right? It's no fun to work all the time. Uh, so, but that's always kind of a work in progress, I think, of of finding that balance. Yeah. And then the other thing, the last thing I'd say is just um, working with such an amazing group of people and such a talented team and that we're supportive of one another. And so that's important. So having the support at the executive level, also having the support of my husband, who is a stay-at-home dad. So we have our own, you know a unique situation and he's been there as a stay-at-home dad for the past three years for our two boys so he's able to be present with them most times he's coaching sometimes their sports teams he takes them camping on weekends which is when i get a you know a break a real like a spa break kind of thing uh and and you know but they're really growing up super close to their dad and that's so special and so rare um, and so that's that's one of the ways we have found a balance for the family well, it sounds really great. And, and the way I'm sure you're developing that culture at San Diego Community Power. I mean, you you came in, you joined a great team, but I am sure I, I met some of your staff with you when I met you uh, some months ago. And you're uh, obviously influencing that. And I and the sensitivity you bring to the table. I love that you talk about the humanity kernel uh, and your world travels. Uh, my world travels. I've come to the same conclusion that 99% of everybody, they're just really good at the core, <laughs> really good at the core and, and honoring that and sort of working with that. So, so really good stuff. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, and sharing your insights and uh, congratulations on all your successes. We'll look forward to hearing about more successes in the future. Yes. Thank you. Also uh, interview me again in a year and we'll have a whole lot more to say and a whole lot more to talk about. Will so do. I, I thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great to uh, chat with and just share more about SCCP and my journey to this point and the connection between the two with your uh, listeners. And please check us out on our website, on our LinkedIn, on all of our different social media handles. And um, we're always 
welcome and happy to hear from folks. Organization on the go and a leader on the go. Thank you so much. Have a great, have a great afternoon. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time. Thank you.